I'm your host, Veronica Thompson, and welcome back to another episode of Above the Mean, a podcast about individuals actively pursuing their passions and pushing themselves to be better than the standard in order to stand out. Today, I am joined by Darisha Kai, an Emmy Award winner who writes, produces, and directs documentary and narrative films. She also has an extensive background producing content for FX, We, AMC, Telemundo, and Fuse, among other networks. She will be debuting her film, Mama Bears, at this year's South by Southwest in Austin. Darisha, thank you so much for making time out of your schedule to come onto my podcast today. It is a pleasure to be here. Always happy to help. Uh, thank you. And I'm just so intrigued by all your work that you've done. Before we <laughs> jump into it, I'd love just to kind of get to know you a little bit better. I see you're born in Los Angeles, California, but as we were talking, you told me you actually grew up in Dayton, Ohio. What was it like growing up there? Well, Dayton is a very middle um, America. It's very much like <laughs> middle America. Um, it's when I was growing up, it was called the door to the Midwest. <laughs> so it was very, very normal, um, except that we had a lot of funk music coming Ooh, out of Dayton surprising. when I was a kid. Um, so I always call say that I grew up in Funky Town, USA. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I really yeah. do. We had like, I don't know, seven funk bands, successful funk bands that came out of Dayton. Ooh, I love good funk music because I feel like it's just really easy to dance to. That's what it's for. <laughs> that's and, how I grew up, dancing to funk music. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad way to go. Mm-mm. No, we liked it. <laughs> I'm curious just to know what led you to become a director? Were you always interested as a child or was it something that you kind of, did you gravitate towards it later in life? Um, it wasn't that late. I actually uh, initially loved acting and um, studied acting. Did, was, did a lot of theater in high school um, and even went to college to study acting. And then between my freshman and sophomore year, of college at Sarah Lawrence College, I worked with a documentary filmmaker and um, he was really lovely, really smart, really down to earth, very generous person. And he was smart enough to let me use all my talents on his film. And so I did research, I was his production assistant, I did some assistant camera work, I did some assistant sound, I helped him write grant proposals, like basically whatever he needed, um, I was there to do and I saw that documentary filmmaking or you know independent filmmaking was a way that I could bring my creativity and my sort of ability to work with people, my, um, my networking abilities, like just all of, it was a full brain endeavor. It was, it, you had to bring your whole self to it. So that intrigued me. And then I came up with this idea that I could make my own movies and star in them. <laughs> so um I dropped out of school and I went to uh I moved to New York City I, I was Sarah Lawrence is a half an hour outside the city but I moved into the city and I worked in independent film all aspects of independent film for about four years well about three years before I realized that what I wanted to do was go back to school because one of the things I did is I worked at a um place that funded films. And I was the grants coordinator or administrator. I don't remember my title, but it meant that I read all the grant proposals and um, vetted them before they went to the next level. And then I sat in on the meetings 
of the panel discussions. And I learned that I needed to have a good sample in order to raise money to make a movie. So I thought I'll go back to school and I'll get my degree and I'll make a sample movie. And so that's what I did. <laughs> I went to NYU, I was lucky enough to get in and I made a short film called The Thinnest Line. And then um, I used that to raise the money to make a film that I did actually write, produce, direct and star in. That was called Land Where My Fathers Died. And my co-star was a very young actor doing his first film named Isaiah Washington. <laughs> That's amazing. I love how it kind of, it was almost like a domino effect that it kind of speared from you starting off in one area, but kind of learning and experiencing the different types of like occupation and jobs that kind of ultimately led you to your passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did, was an assistant camera. I was assistant sound. I was a PA. I was a production coordinator. I, like I said, was a grants administrator. I was, um, I checked out equipment. I, I mean, I did everything. Like you just to learn, and I worked on a lot of independent films during that time with um, people like Ayopa Chinzira, Christine Choi, William Greaves, Alonzo Spate, a lot of doc independent documentary filmmakers because um, it was kind of in its heyday. And a funny side note, while I was working at the place that gave grants, which was called the Film Fund that no longer exists, one of the people who came to us looking for funding was Spike Lee looking for money for She's Gotta Have It. And they didn't fund him. Oh my God, wait, what? <laughs> How do you tell him. Spike Lee no? I'm <laughs> I mean, they did, you know, he never let me live it down. <laughs> Every time I'd see him, he'd say something about it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that movie. That is crazy. And I, I'd really love it if you could kind of, I feel like a lot of people don't fully understand or know the responsibilities that come with being a film director. I feel like oftentimes it's in movies, it's portrayed as the person sitting in the chair, just yelling action but <laughs> in real life. There's so Exactly. Like in real life, there's so much that goes into it. Could yeah, you well, kind of... Here's the thing. I'm not just a director. I'm also a producer, which means that I have, I raise the money for my projects. Okay, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so uh, as a producer, I'm responsible for making the project happen. So whether it's writing the grants proposals to get grants or whether it's um, schmoozing and boozing with people to make connections to get money, to get donations or you know whatever it takes. And then you know working to manage the money and make sure it's well spent and hiring the crew and um, hiring the editor, hiring everybody firing somebody if necessary, although I've never had to fire people. Um, but you know, like you're responsible for all the nuts and bolts that make a film happen. Then as a director, my job is to have the vision of the film, to pick the people. I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is casting. You know, we talk about casting in narrative films, but we don't really use that term when it comes to documentaries, but who you decide to make, to focus the film on is just as important in documentary as it is in narrative film. And so I consider that a form of casting, right? So and as a director. Look, I was gonna say, when you look for casting, do you obviously look for like specific characters or personality traits from a person? Well, I'm looking for a story first, right? If it's not a good story, it's not gonna make a good movie. But then I'm also looking for, yes, I'm looking for character traits. I'm looking for someone who's um, interesting and engaging and articulate, right? Because we have to be able to understand them. Right. So if you're shy, but you really want to tell your story, that can work, too. You know, if, if you're willing to overcome your shyness. But generally, you look for more extroverted, outgoing people who are going to um, 
let you into their world fairly easily, right? Um, and like I said, they really need to be articulate because um, I, I don't use narration in my films. I want the people that are, whose story I'm telling, I want them to tell their own story. I want it to be in their voices and in their words. Every once in a while during an interview, I may say, you might wanna say this like this, but otherwise I don't put words in people's mouths. You know, what I, when I do that, I'm just rephrasing it so I can get it more succinct usually. So that, you know, they're rambling on. And when they finish rambling, I say, can you just say that again, like really short? <laughs> just to kind of summarize everything. Right, right. Instead of going left, right, front, center, backwards, <laughs> over here, over there, over there. Can you just like, narrow it down, right? Um, but I, like I said, I don't put words in people's mouths. I'm looking for storytellers, people who are the, 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 the characters that aren't the people, because they're not characters, they're people. The people that whose stories I want to tell want to share their stories and are good storytellers themselves. And I'm so curious, how do you come across stories? Like, where do you look for these stories to tell? Everywhere. I mean, the mama bear's story I found in the news. There was an article in the Huffington Post about Kimberly and Kai. And um, I had already come up with the idea. No, no, that's how I came up with the idea, right? So I was looking for a new idea. My last documentary, Chavela, had just premiered at the Berlin Film Festival. And I'm not a spring chicken. I'm not old, old, but I'm not a spring chicken. And so I thought, you know, um, I need to strike while the iron is hot. So, you know, when you put a film out, you have to do a lot of promotion. And I wanted to be able to talk about my next project while I was talking about the current one so that I was planting seeds, right? Yeah, kind of making the best of both. Right. And so I was researching, looking for an idea for another film. And I came across an article about Kimberly and her fight for her daughter, Kai, to use the girl's bathroom. And in that article, she mentioned that, there, that she had found the courage to change her, completely transform her life by joining the Mama Bears group. And she said there were 2,000 moms. And I thought, wow, 2,000, that's amazing. Like, people need to know about these women. I mean, what, I, what I'm attracted to is badasses, people who are game changers, people who are transforming the world around them, right? And so I thought these women, especially knowing that they came from conservative Christian backgrounds, right? So to, to go from being like Kimberly went from being a Tea Party Republican in Texas who voted a straight ticket for the Republican Party to winning an award as LGBTQ activist of the year because she loved her child, right? And I thought, I, I thought about like, what does it take to make that kind of change, right? It takes courage. It takes maybe a little bit of naivete, you know, you think maybe people are going to come along with you, but it also takes um, this, this fearlessness that you're going to dive deep, re-examine everything you believe, throw away the stuff that no longer works and start fresh. Most people won't, I'm not saying they can't, but most people won't do that. It's scary to do that because yeah. what's, people like to stick with what they know, right? Stepping out into completely unknown, uncharted water is terrifying, right? But these women do it. And in the process, they may lose their husbands. They definitely often lose their churches. They lose their friends, their family. They lose, they stand to lose everything, right? But they love their kids. So anyway, when I saw that number 2000, I thought, oh, wow, I wanna find out about these women. And I started digging. I'm happy to say that there are now more than 30,000 mama bears. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, and when this film comes out, 
they're gonna they're not gonna number in the hundreds of thousands if not the millions you know Oh, I don't doubt it. Cause I know when I first came across your film, I actually, I rewatched it just in preparation for this interview. But as I was rewatching, I realized I had actually seen it before um, during when everything was going on um, for this short you, film. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, your text is strong. For those of you who don't know, Mama Bears is actually Darisha Kai's second debut film. That's going to be coming at South Lake because in 2018, you were commissioned by the ACLU to direct Trans in America, Texas Strong, which was a short film that focuses on Kimberly Sharpley's fight to defeat the Texas bathroom bill, which prohibited her trans daughter Kai from using the girl's bathroom. And it was the winner of two Webby Awards, as well as an outstanding short documentary Emmy. Right. And I, this film, while I was watching it, it was amazing because Kai is so cute and she is such a character. Like you can't help but love her. Like she is so cute yeah. and, and smart. I, oh, I believe it. I believe so smart it. and and sure of herself in a way that dis can be very disarming for adults. This child came to the planet knowing exactly who she is and exactly what she came to do. Because in the movie, Kai was five years Six. old. Six. Six. Yeah. And to yeah. be so sure of yourself and so confident is amazing. Yeah, she came that way. She was born that way. <laughs> As Lady Gaga said, she was born this way. Oh, I love, we love Lady Gaga. Let me just clarify one thing. Um, Kimberly's last name is Shapley, for one. But um, Mama Bears, I started Mama Bears, and I was not going to include Kimberly and Kai in the film because they'd had a lot of exposure. They'd been in the news. Their story was out there. And I thought, mm, you know, let me find something fresh that people haven't seen. And then I got um, the email from Firelight Media that the ACLU was looking for stories about transgender rights issues. And I thought, well, their story is perfect. And so I pitched it and they commissioned it. But one of the beautiful things about it was they offered to give me the five days of footage that I shot. And so at that point, I was like, well, now they're in the film. Now they're in Mama Bears. And I'm so grateful that that happened because uh, for many reasons, right? I mean, who doesn't want to win an Emmy, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's number one. But number two is that the they are such incredible storytellers, you know? And so having them in the film and, and they just elicit deep empathy and sympathy, you know? And their story is um, very specific, but also has this universal quality that appeals to people. And, and Texas Strong, if you look at the... Um, comments on YouTube where the film lives, you will see that that film has transformed and opened the hearts and minds of so many people. It's really amazing to me. I mean, it has been viewed over 4 million times. No, because there's just so many. I think what most people really feel touched by is when Kimberly's talking about how when Kai was four, she prayed to God to take her away simply mm -hmm. because her mom wasn't accepting her to be a little girl. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first watched that, it almost broke my heart because I have a very, very strong relationship with my mother. Mm -hmm. And I can't even imagine what it would be like if I knew that she didn't accept me for who I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 um, what, so here's the other thing about picking the right people for the film is that not everybody's going to tell you that they spanked their child, really spanked them, right? Not everybody's going to apologize for their past beliefs. Not everybody's going to let you film them 
in moments of vulnerability and, and where they don't look so good, right? So that's the other thing that you're looking for is people who are emotionally honest, right? And willing to share those emotions with you. Um, I was just knocked out when Kimberly started talking about spanking Kai and the things that she did trying to put her through conversion therapy. And you can see, you can see the remorse on her face, you know, you can see it. She's just, but she, but she doesn't flinch and she doesn't censor it. And so that to me, that's the height of bravery. It really is. And like the transform, like the transformation from where, she, like the evolution of how she kind of stepped into this new advocate role for the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. And your film Mama Bears kind of explores that notion following other mothers who um, would do anything for their children. Um, mm -hmm. Mama Bears explores how the lives of conservative Christian mothers are utterly transformed when they decide to accept their LGBTQ children spread throughout the country, but connected through private Facebook groups they call one another mama bears because of the ferocity with which they fight for their children's rights and those of the entire LGBTQ community. And so how does mama bears differ from Texas strong? Um, one thing I want to say about why they call themselves mama bears, their slogan is actually our love may be warm and cuddly, but we fight like hell for the LGBTQ community. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's like <laughs> cute with a little sass, like mm -hmm. don't mess with yeah. me. Don't mess yeah. with Texas. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the short is just about Kimberly and Kai's fight to, for her to use the girls' bathroom. The feature film is about Kimberly and that and a lot more of Kimberly's life, you know, um, how they have to move to Austin for Kai to be safe and all, all kinds of their journey, basically. And then it's also about Sarah Cunningham and her journey to accepting her kid. And it's about a young lesbian, African-American lesbian named Tammy who um, struggled really hard to accept herself because she grew up in an evangelical family and community. So um, whereas uh, Texas Strong is just a short film, this is a feature length film. Mama Bears is a feature length film. So they're, they're related, but different, very different. And so it's really diving into these women's lives and just seeing the change and progression that they're making by fighting for these rights. Mm -hmm. And by coming to terms with who their kids are, by reevaluating the things that they were taught, that they believed, that they um, experienced when in their youth, you know, um, and the process of um, awakening, basically. And speaking of awakening, I know that you are a proud queer woman. In 2022, what was your experience like when you first came out as a queer woman? Um, well, I didn't come out in 2022. <laughs> no, I just mean, no, that I feel like just being out in 2022, like just living your truth. But when, what was your experience like just coming out? Well, um, when I came out to what well, my, so I was raised by a single mom. So I came out to her and it was interesting because she had gay friends when I was coming up. I'm, I'm not from a conservative Christian family. Matter of fact, I'm not even Christian. Um, although my family was, and I went to church as a child, I left when I was about nine years old. I left the church when I was about nine because it didn't make sense to me. <laughs> I just couldn't wrap my head around certain things that they were telling me, like Jesus, like um, Adam and Eve were the first people in the world. And then at some point they leave the Garden of Eden and they wind up in the city of Nod. How is their city? <laughs> 
how are there other people? Like what? So anyway, my brain was like, no, 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 no. And I, I stopped going to Sunday school. I still went to church because I liked the music and because um, my grandmother's brother was the pastor. So all my family went there and I didn't want to be left out, <laughs> but my beliefs shifted. And then my mom was um, a seeker and she was someone who had left the church as well and had begun to explore Eastern religions and was meditating and doing yoga and was a vegetarian briefly. And so she took me on another path, right? But what was your question? Uh, I was just gonna say, so do you have any advice for listeners who may be thinking about coming out who may not oh, be yes, fortunate- what my coming out experience was, yeah, right? <laughs> who may not be fortunate to have, I guess, such a welcoming and embracing- Well, well let me back up and say that, um, so my mom had gay friends, but when I came out, she had a bad reaction initially. Eventually she came around, but this is the thing that I learned then and have learned many times over since is that it's different when it's your child. You can be the most open-minded person in the world, but when it's your child, it's a whole different story, right? So initially my mom had a bad reaction, but then I was like, mom, what are you doing? You've had gay friends my whole life, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you're right, you're right, you're right. But it was just that knee jerk reaction. And even queer people will sometimes say, I don't want my kid to be gay because as a parent, you want your kid to be safe. Above all else, right? You want your kid to be safe. So having your kid come out, you know what's in store for them, right? You know how hard it was for you. So why would you want wish that on anyone? A society that is almost completely unaccepting, right? That is gonna fill your kid's head with, with uh, things that make them hate themselves or harm themselves, right? So no parent really wants that for their child. But uh, I don't know. I mean, in terms of coming out now, if you're in a community which is rejecting, which is non-accepting of LGBTQ people, it's hard, it's really hard. But the reason that I made this film is so that people who are like that would know that they are not alone. Because I can't tell you how many times I heard that phrase. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only gay Christian. I thought I was the only Christian parent of a trans kid. I thought I was the only one, right? So I made this film so that people who are growing up in those communities will know you are not alone. You are not the only one. And even if the community that you live in is not accepting, there are people out here who are faith-based people who will love you and accept you just as you are. So yeah. as soon as you can get out of there, <laughs> go find those communities where you can be yourself, your full self. And just feel accepted. And I feel like that that's interesting how you said that a lot of people felt like they're alone. And by this film, they can feel seen. Like they can feel like someone understands. Exactly. And, and connected. I mean, because one of the things that is really important to me is that the mama bears travel with the film and come out wherever they are, wherever the film screens, there will be mama bears, local mama bears. And sometimes the moms who are in the film will come, right? And people will be able to connect with them at these screenings. And then we put information on the, on the um, the last thing you see is how to connect to the mama bears. The last thing you see in the film is a title card of how to connect to the mama bears, because that is the point. It's just to kind of increase this community and increase like their reach for someone who may not have anyone and that they can find this community and become a part of it. And I love that. I think that's such a beautiful thing. It is. It is. It's, it's why I made the film. <laughs> <laughs> 
what has been your experience as a woman of color in an industry that is predominantly Caucasian men? Mm. <laughs> uh, it's been a mixed bag of tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it to you this way. If I had had the kind of early success that I did have as a white male, I would have been making movies for Hollywood for years. But instead, it took 30 years for me to get another film off the ground. And the only way that I was really able to do it is because I made that film with someone who had generational wealth. When you're doing independent filmmaking, it is so hard to, fu to fund the film, right? And that's one of the main reasons why when you hear about documentary films, you hear, oh, it took five years, it took 10 years, it took seven years. It's because people don't have the money. And so they have to, they raise some money, they do some work on the film, they run out of money, they stop, they raise some more money. So that it's this stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. I know people who literally it's taken them 20 years to get a film finished. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But if you have even, not even the level of success that I had, and you're a white man, it's much, much, much easier. People throw money at you, literally. So, you know, it, just like every other aspect of this society, it is skewed towards white men. The film industry is no different than the rest of society. And that's why I think it's so fortunate to have directors like you or even Spike Lee who are trying to get out these different narratives that are often, I feel like, not told. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, we tell stories from our perspectives, right? So the question is always who's telling the story to me, right? There's been a lot of conversation, uh, particularly within the documentary field recently about um, white filmmakers telling stories of people of color, you know? And so, and because we have a long tradition of that, a very long tradition of white filmmakers telling stories about people of color. And so we're trying to bust that narrative. We're trying to change that, shake that up and, and make people aware that you are an outsider right? You're an outsider looking in, and that story is not going to be the same as if an insider told it, right? So step aside and let us tell these stories, or we can co-tell the stories, right? But you should not be telling stories that you don't really know. One of the first rules of filmmaking is tell what you know. And so it's like, mm, okay, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that is so true. How can you accurately depict or like, I feel like people make films because they want people to feel, they want people to be engaged and they want people to learn. But how can you do that when you're kind of learning about this environment as you're making it? Well, at the same time, let me just say that, you know, we're all human. And mm -hmm. if you're a good storyteller, you can tell that story, right? Um, because there are universal aspects and that's what you're looking for within the story, right? But there are also subtle nuances and things that you might not get, right? And um, subtle ways in which you're framing stories that will be different because you're coming from your frame of reference. That is true. That is so true. So, you know, I would never say that women should only make films about women or only women should make films about women or men should, or black people should make films about black people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that historically it has been skewed in one direction and we need to find balance. I agree, I really do. Um, I would love to know more about your projects out of all your projects, which was the most difficult to direct and why? Directing is not hard to me. So the directing part is, is not 
the challenge. The challenge is the producing, the challenge is the fundraising. That's the big challenge for me is finding the money. So I have a new film um, that I shot uh, in 2020 and early 2021 at the height of the pandemic about Black, the Black Voters Matter Fund and the co-founders Cliff Albright and Latasha Brown and the work they did to flip Georgia from red to blue twice. Once during the presidential election and then in the Senate runoffs with Warnock and Ossoff. And we followed them for six months and traveled with them during the pandemic and nobody on our team got sick. That's amazing. <laughs> One, because they, they, they are brilliant, brilliant strategists and they came up with ways to have COVID safe events. So they did things at drive-ins and people stayed in their cars. They did these caravans, car caravans, driving through black neighborhoods, playing, blasting, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And then they would stop and they would hand out PPP so everybody would be masked. They would hand out hand sanitizer. They would hand out information about voting. They would give away free food and then they would move on and drive through another neighborhood. So they would, it was like the Pied Piper. They were the Pied Pipers, you know, of voting registration and information. And um, it was amazing to watch the work that they do, you know, to be, have a, a fly on the wall glimpse of it, you know. And so I know that you said that this was an upcoming project that you plan to release later after Mama Bears. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, we, we're uh, looking for money for post-production. <laughs> oh, the money, the money, the money. <laughs> and that's so interesting. Honestly, I don't think uh, since this conversation, I don't think I realized just how much fundraising was really key to independent films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't do, I mean, film is expensive. Editors make upwards $3,000 a week and it takes six to nine months to a year to edit a film. So do the math. And that's just post-production, right? That's not shooting the film. That's not, so that, you know, camera people make $800 a day. Town people make $600 a day. PAs make $200 a day. You know, like that's a lot of money. One day of shooting will cost you on average about $5,000. I'm in the wrong profession. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I need a switch. (laughs) Yeah, it's expensive. It's really expensive, you know? Um, So yeah, and it always has been. I mean, it's cheaper than it was when we had to do film, literally film, because film, um, film is even more expensive because it's, um, they sold it by the foot (laughs) and you had to process it. And it it was just a whole nother thing, you know? No, I do film photography, so I can really, I know how lengthy and very much money-wise financially consuming that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One roll of film used to be like, I think $400. And that roll was 12 minutes long. Ooh. So if you were to do like an entire film. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little pricey. <laughs> so at least the digital, you know, the, I love the fact that everything's digital now so that so many more people can get in the game, you know, because you can literally shoot a film with your iPhone. Yes. Uh, I believe the ending for the Florida project. Have you seen that film? No, I haven't. Um, he he shot it all on his camera phone and it was an amazing. It was really, really cool. I hadn't really seen that done before. Yeah. The first one I saw was Tangerine. They shot the whole film on think, iPhones. Yes. Yes. And even, uh, was it Soderbergh? I think even Steven Soderbergh's latest film is on, uh, was shot on an iPhone. Big budget films. 
shot on an iPhone on, I mean, you know, they, they rig them up so that they're much more than like, you know, just pointing and shooting, right? No, they yeah. And lenses and they got to stabilize it, blah, 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 but it's still an iPhone. Right? And it's still probably a lot cheaper. It oh my God, the cost. so much yes. cheaper, so much cheaper. I feel like in order to live in this space and work in this community, you have to have like creative mindset. Do you have any favorite hobbies or activities that you like to do that kind of help you to unlock that creativity, like your quote unquote artist brain? Um, there's there's a lot of things I do to feed my spirit. One is that I like to exercise. Um, I like to dance. I like to be in the woods, walk in the woods. Like if I'm um, tired or blocked or frustrated, a walk in the woods is a beautiful reset. You know, whether it's you know sunny and beautiful, or even when it's cold and windy, it's beautiful to be out in nature. You know, and my all-time favorite is the beach. I love the beach. I'm a beach bunny. Um, and then there's just getting together with friends and, and uh, connecting that way, you know, feeding your spirit that way. Meditating, praying, those are way, great ways to feed your creativity and your spirit. And then writing. Um, I'm not doing it now, but I do intend to start up again, which is keeping a daily journal. Like, you know, have you ever heard of the artist's way? I'm actually reading that and I'm doing my morning journals actually morning right pages, now. As right. We speak. Those are great for like um, awakening your creativity if it's been dormant or for, you know, focusing it or just for to keep you, you know, flowing. No, I agree. I've actually only been doing it for like a few weeks, but I've already seen a change just in my thought process and just how I act or react to things. Like I've noticed me just doing things more freely and not really just second guessing or like wondering like, am I doing this right? But it's just kind of opened me up to like, just be. And I love it. I really, really do. It's a great, it's a great book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that book and anything like that, you know, and drawing and just, you know, being expressive, creatively expressive. Right. So um, I haven't done one in a long time, but uh, some friends of mine, sometimes get, mine and I sometimes get together and do um uh what do we call them vision boards Ooh, okay i i do like doing vision boards i tried to do one like a manifesting vision board just for 2022 overall it's good to do it it's good to do it but and then you have to put it up someplace where you'll see it all the time because every time you see it it's gonna feed your spirit and feed your and reinforce what you want right no i do i totally agree i believe in that and then just saying positive affirmations that really helps to kind of just bring out more positivity which attracts I feel like you are the energy that you receive in this world so if you give out positive energy you're going to receive positive energy back mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's why I really try to implement that and just be a positive happy person pretty much yep yep it helps <laughs> misery doesn't do it for you <laughs> no and I mean life's too short life's a game so yes it is yes it is you gotta play and enjoy it exactly and now Darisha I'm curious who are some directors that you look up to or inspire you and why oh my goodness the list is long <laughs> I mean I feel like you can learn from even bad films teach you a lot and can inspire you because you learn what not to do right um, but, um, you know, like I love classic movies and I love contemporary movies and I love, I love all kinds of movies. I love comedies. I love, so it's really hard for me to say, well, this person right here is, is, you know, 
my favorite director, right? Because every director brings different things to the table, right? Like I love Scorsese's, you know, gritty New York sensibilities with, you know, gangsters and all of that, right? I love, he's such a smart filmmaker. But I also love films that have a lot of heart and that are very emotional and have a lot of depth, you know, like uh, Winter's Bone, right? I, well, I don't know what happened to that woman who made that film, but that film, I love that film. And the, the performance that she got out of a 20-year-old Jennifer Lawrence is just amazing. I don't amazing. think I've seen this one, Winter's oh, Bone. Winter's Bone, watch that movie. When I was younger, and even now, one of my all-time favorite films, what, films two of my all-time favorite films were Harold and Maude. You probably have never seen that. Mm. And um, Being There with Peter Sellers. I love those films, but I also love stuff like A Fish Called Wanda, A Fish Named <laughs> Wanda, or, you know, like, just depends on the date, the time, and where I'm at, what I'm going to love, you know, and what's going to stick with me. But um, I feel like, um, like I said, every director brings something unique and valuable to the work that they do, right? especially people who are masters of their craft. Now, like somebody like David Lynch, he, he's a master of his craft, but he's he, he's somebody that I watch his films and I'm like, what? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Although some of them like, you know, Twin Peaks and all those, he, he's, he is such a quirky, interesting, weird guy and his films are the same, right? Or somebody like Richard Linklater, Ladder, I think it's Link Ladder. I love his films. They're funny, they're heartfelt, they're, they have a lot of depth. But I mean, the range of films that I love is very expansive. <laughs> films or movies per se was probably one of my first loves, my first passion. That was my, if you ask my mom, that was my first not quote unquote babysitter. She would used to just plot me in front of the TV because I could just watch movies all day every day and that kind of became like our family's love language like every Friday we would have family movie night and mm -hmm. we I looked forward to it because I just loved storytelling like I yeah. loved kind of just diving into someone else's life and just kind of learning or just you know laughing depending on what it was that we were watching mm -hmm. yeah beautiful I remember there was this one film I really loved called my beautiful laundrette you should you should watch that one too Beautiful Laundrette. Who's that? My my beautiful Laundrette. I don't. Even, I can't even tell you who directed. I just loved that film. Um, oh, and I loved Get Out. You know, like I can't watch a lot of horror films, but I like that one. <laughs> no, anything with Jordan Peele, I know it's gonna be mind blowing. Cause Get Out, us. I'm super excited for his upcoming film that's gonna come out. I think it's called Nope. Ah, I don't even know about it. Yes, if you liked um, Jordan Peele's first film, Get Out. Have you seen Us? Yeah, I saw Us. I didn't love it as much as Get Out. No, I'm excited for Nope just because uh, the cast for it is amazing. I love Kiki Palmer, so I'm really excited to see her. Yeah. Did you ever see The Crying Game? That's a really good one. No, The Crying Game? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, we could go back and forth on giving movie recommendations all day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely, because I love watching movies too, so. Do you have any favorite movies? I'm just, I'm naming them. <laughs> <laughs> I just named like a bunch of them. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like it, I agree. It's hard to pick just one because I feel like I have a favorite movie for a specific like time. Like I know when I'm sick, there's one movie I like to watch in particular and it was Water for Elephants. 
Uh, I used to love watching that movie every time I was sick. I don't think it, I've seen that one. It has Reese Witherspoon, Robert Patterson, and it was based on a true story. Hmm, okay, I'll watch that one. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. I really, I think what captivates me about movies is just like the cinematography. Like I know right off the back, the cinematographer Midsommar was amazing. Or there was one movie, the Romeo and Juliet, but with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm, mm-hmm. That cinematography was beautiful. He's such a great actor, Mr. DiCaprio. No, like I said, I could literally go all day. But <laughs> um, <laughs> before I close out this interview, there was just a few more questions I wanted to ask. What do you believe is the most important lesson that you've learned over your career? as if I could narrow my whole career down to one lesson I don't know I mean don't give up in a nutshell it's like don't give up and don't lose hope don't lose the keep the faith and don't give up and that's powerful because I feel like so many times people are often met with these barriers or these obstacles and they kind of let that stop them but it's the people who persevere Exactly. The people who persevere are the ones who reap the benefits. Yeah. You have to just find another way. If that door closes, open another door, open a window, climb out the window, like whatever you need to do. Here's the thing is I feel like, um, I, when I'm making a movie, I'm in service to the movie that wants to be made. Movies have lives of their own, right? So one of the things that has helped me is to put my faith in the movie and to even sometimes say, look, you want to be made, you get to come up with some more money because I'm out, I'm tapped out. I've done everything I can. I've written all the grant proposals. I've made all the phone calls. It's up to you, movie. You want to be made, make it happen, right? And then something shifts and some money comes and we keep moving, right? (laughs) And Um, made it happen. Yeah, right. And are turning it over to a higher power, you know, like just doing, but you have to do the work. You have to do lay the groundwork, right? To um, one, signal to the universe that you're serious, right? And that this is important and that you're really trying to make this happen, right? And then once you do that, once you do, once you exhaust yourself and do everything you can do, then you have to surrender, right? To the process and say, okay, Maybe um, unseen forces are moving and things simply haven't fallen into alignment yet. So let me be patient and let things fall into alignment, right? Let them, let what's over here, come over here, come over here, come over here until boom. All right, full speed ahead, we're in alignment, we can move forward, right? So that's the other thing is that sometimes, um, I think there's another way that people say it is, how do they say it? They say it's um, not your time, it's God's time. right? It, it's things happen in due time when, when they're ripe and when they're ready, right? So sometimes you're pushing, 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 and you just need to relax because you've done everything be. you can. And just let it, fall, let it come into place, like let everything fall into alignment and then you can move forward, right? Sometimes the stars are not aligned. Sometimes Mercury's in retrograde, you know, like, <laughs> I'm serious. You may okay? have like a Pisces moon or something. You know that- what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you don't know. Sometimes you don't know what's going on in the world. You just need to be patient and hold that vision. Don't let it go, right? The other thing is it won't let you go. I feel like, you know, 
but films to me are like birds or any artistic endeavor. It's like a bird sitting in a tree and you walk by and it lands on your shoulder and starts whispering in your ear. I want you to make me, I want you to make me, I want you to create me, I want you to create me. Come on, you can do it. You're the perfect person. You have the right skills, you have the right talent. And you're like, shut up, get off my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) And it won't let go. It just keeps hovering, hovering, hovering until finally you're like, okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll be the one, I'll I'll be your midwife and birth you, right? And help (laughs) you get born into this world, right? So that's what you do. You put yourself in service to a piece of art that wants to come through you. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. And I'm curious, I don't know, for someone who would like to kind of enter into the film world and has maybe like an idea for a story or like a proposal, how would they go about trying to get that to be seen or get that out there? It depends if they're trying to make a narrative film or a documentary film. That's the first thing, right? So um with a narrative film, you would want to either write the script yourself or hire somebody to write the script, at the very least to write an outline of the story, because you have to have something to show people if you want to get them on board, right? Unless you're a great pitch person and you can pitch it to people and they can see it, right? But even to do that, you have to flesh it out. So for a narrative film, it's about, okay, it's not, an idea is not enough, right? Unless it's a really high concept film that you're making, right? I want to make a film about some inside information about the World Trade Center that I have, right? Oh, well, then people are going to be like, oh, about, you know, about the, when the World Trade Centers were hit, were, were bombed with planes. Um, that's a high concept, right? So sometimes you can just pitch a concept if it's a very high concept. But if it's a story about a father who did this and that, that, that you need to flesh that out. You need to develop that story and not just in your head. You need to put it on paper so that you can share it with people and they can read it and they can get excited. So that's what I would say for a narrative film and for a documentary film, it's pretty much the same thing. You need to put it on paper so that people can get excited about it and you can share it, right? So, and then you start writing grant proposals or you start reaching out to investors or donors, right? And sharing what you've done. So you need a budget because they want to know, well, how much money is it going to take to make this movie, right? How much money do you need? How much money do you have? Oh, you don't have any money? Do I want to be the first investor or the first donor or the first foundation to invest in this project? Mm, I don't know, right? So your job is to um, get the people who are going to become your collaborators and your supporters as excited about this idea as you are, right? And so then you have to do whatever it takes. So like, for example, with um, grant writing, Every time you write a grant proposal, you need to tailor that, tweak that proposal set it so that it speaks directly to the person that you're writing or the organization that you're writing it to. So once you come up with your general proposal, then every time you submit it, you're tweaking it because you're speaking to a specific audience, right? So this organization is specifically interested in LGBTQ issues, right? Whereas this one is more interested in social justice in general. Right. Or this. So every single one is going to have a different agenda and ideology and take on what the work that they do. And your job is to make your project sound like exactly what they're looking for. Yes. Yes. So they read and they're like, oh, wow, this is exactly what we wanted. Let's give them some money. (laughs) (laughs) You're like tailoring it to the person, to the organization. Exactly. Instead of just leaving it generalized. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. It's such a it's a lot of work because the proposal is about 20 pages 
Oh, well, wow. depend depending on the poll. Now nah, they're more like ten. But if you really get into unless it. you apply to the National Endowment for the Humanities, and then it's like thirty. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> and you're the one who writes all of those. I've never done an NEH proposal because I'm so intimidated by it. I'm like, Ugh. and it's just so much work. I'm like, no. And then my <laughs> films have not been uh, that kind that kind of films in general. I mean, but really, I'm just too lazy to do the grant. <laughs> There's I mean, nothing wrong been... with that. There's nothing <laughs> wrong. It's just too much work. <laughs> I feel you. There's nothing wrong with that. Although think... a friend of mine on her second try got $500,000 from the NEH, so I may rethink that. <laughs> Better brush off your writing tools. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, stop being so lazy and, and do it. But the thing is, like, you know, you spend all that time, and then if you don't get the money, you're like, what the... It's a very like love hate type of relation. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Because this hour spent in front of your computer writing, because all writing is rewriting, right? So writing, rewriting, writing, rewriting, writing, rewriting, rewriting, refining, finessing, getting feedback, blah blah blah. One thing I'll say to anybody out there who is going to go the route of uh, grant proposals for fundraising for their films is always ask. Whenever you get rejected, always ask for feedback. Even if they say they don't give it, it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt to push and say, could you please just send me like, you know, some of the comments that people made because that's the only way you're going to learn what's working and what's not working. I feel like I agree. You could apply that to anything. Like just that's how you grow as a person. And that's kind of how you kind of evolve to become the better person. If you never, if you don't know how to take criticism, you're never going to learn how to become that person who inevitably is just your better self, I guess. Mm-hmm. And think of it as feedback. Exactly. Not criticism, feedback. That makes it more, easier. I was like, it has a more positive, <laughs> a more positive look on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but really that's what it is. It's like you put it out there and then you get some feedback. And, and sometimes, you know, even when, sometimes even when we get the grant, I ask for feedback on the proposal because I'm still gonna be sending it out to other people. So I ask people, oh, are there any areas that were weak or anything, any questions you were left with, you know? Because sometimes people will love the project so much they'll overlook things. So I wanna know, you know, did, was there anything there that you think I should blah, 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 you know, tweak, I should rewrite, I should beef up, I should take out, you know? Yeah, kind of get like that outside perspective because it's like that thing, or basically that saying, like, when you're too close to something, you can't always see the fault. So you have to take a step back in exactly. order to truly see it as a whole. You have no objectivity. Exactly. You, know, you spend so much time doing it that um, you get caught up and then you're just like, you know, myopic. You have no objectivity whatsoever. I mean, which is something that, you know, they talk about um, in documentary filmmaking. They act as if documentary filmmakers make objective films. No, they don't. That's not possible. Every time you make an edit, you're making a choice. And that choice is coming from your perspective on what's important to this story. So how mm. is that objective? That is true. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. This is one of the myths around documentary filmmaking that has been perpetuated for many years. That's just not true. There is no objectivity. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, talk to as many people so you can get wide perspective. But at the end of the day, somebody is deciding what goes in and what comes out. And I'm sure that there's so much footage to go through. Like oh how God. long for Texas Strong, how many days did you guys film? Oh, for that, we only shot for five days. For five days. The, the ACLU had a 
small budget for that. Okay. This has been so informative, Drisha. Before I let you go, I want to ask you one last question. If you could have a billboard anywhere that essentially reflected who you are, what would be on it or what would it say? Dare she? She dares. Ooh. I had to take a moment there just to really let that sink in. I love that. I love that. That's the name of my production company, Dare She Enterprises, because that's my name. That's the name my mother gave me. It took me a long time to see it. My name is Darisha, D-A-R-E-S-H-A, right? So Darisha, that's my name, that's my name, that's my name. One day I'm sitting around and I'm trying to come up with a name for a company and I look over and I see my name and I'm like, my name is Darisha, you know, like tweaked a little bit, but but that's my name. Okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. Darisha, yeah, she dares. I love it because it's so like, it's all about perspective, like how you're saying, but it's also got a little sass and like impact to it. Because it's like, I feel like in order to be so accomplished in the way that you are, you've had to put yourself out there and you've had to jump into the unknown and be brave and do things that are daring. Mm -hmm. I've had to dare. (laughs) I've had to dare myself, right? To do things that were way out of my comfort. Right? But but that's kind of my nature. I'm a bit of a daredevil by nature. I mean, you know, that's my name. So I've been living up to that name my whole life. You know, I, I'm, I'm the kind, I was the kind of kid who did things that other kids were like, what? How, how did you do? Why? What did, how did you get the balls, right? You were the kid that jumped off the swings while the swing was really high, weren't you? Well, it wasn't so much <laughs> physical things that I dared to do. It was more like, uh, well, some physical, like I was an exchange student in high school, right? Some people find that very daring to go off at 16 and go to a foreign country where you don't speak the language and live for nine months for a whole school year, right? Where did you go? I was in Mexico City, yeah, which is how I became fluent in Spanish, right? Um, And then I did all kinds of crazy things over the years (laughs) that other people just like, like, you know, I moved to Hawaii just on a whim, like, (laughs) it spoke to me. So I packed up my shit and moved. Like, you know, people are like, what? I would never do that. I'm like, well, I felt like that was where I was supposed to be. So I just moved there. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a job. I just moved. That's my nature. And I love that because I feel like that's a trait that not many people possess. Like for me, I I grew up- Most people think I'm crazy. Most of my friends, they think I'm just, you know, they love me, but they're like, she's crazy. She does all kinds of crazy things. Don't be surprised by anything Darisha does. But it's the crazy ones who are really enjoying life. I, I mean, I think everybody can enjoy life. You don't have to be crazy to, or caring <laughs> to enjoy life, you know, but I love doing things that, well, for me, it's, it's really about um, spirit, right? And being guided by spirit. And, and learning over the course of my life to trust my own intuition above all else, right? So if my intuition says something, but it doesn't make sense to anybody else, that's okay. I'm the only one who has to live with the repercussions of my choices, right? Well, sometimes other people do, but you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, this is my spirit and my intuition are telling me, do this. So I listen. And it guides you. And so far, your intuition has been right. Because look at all that you've accomplished so far. Yeah, intuition. I feel like um, everybody has it. People think that you have to be special or you have to, you do need to cultivate it, right? Um, and you do need to learn to trust it because it's people, We our, our society teaches us not to trust our intuition. It steers us away, deliberately steers us away 
by telling us things like, you only have five senses. Well, that's a lie. You have a lot more than five senses. Intuition is one of them. It's a sense, right? Um, they have found that your brain is not just in your head, that there are brain cells all over your body and there's a collection of brain cells in your gut. So when people say, trust your gut, it's because that's another brain and it's processing information in a different way than your intellect, right? But our society tries to limit it. It's, it's always because our society wants to control us. So it's always trying to keep us in these little boxes by lying to us and telling us you're just this, right? All that stuff over there, like spirits and, in, and intuition and blah, 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 whatever, they don't exist, right? But that's not true. They do exist. But most people are not conditioned or trained or are or too afraid to tap into those things, right? But mm -hmm. they exist. I'm living proof that they exist, right? So intuition is, uh, is meant to protect you and to guide you, right? So if you want to develop your intuition, you start trusting it by paying attention to that gut feeling, right? So for example, you meet somebody and your gut says, don't trust them. Well, a lot of times people will trust them anyway. They'll, they won't listen. But if you hear that little still small voice, just start listening and paying attention to what happens when you do listen to it and what happens when you don't. And I guarantee you that every time you don't listen to it, you will regret it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm thinking of times, as you said right now, of times when I didn't listen to my intuition that I do regret. So I 1000% I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. And then you listen, then you pay attention to the times that you do listen, right? Nine times out of 10, it does not lead you astray. It pays off. It really it does. It does. It does. And I'm so thankful that my intuition basically told me to reach out to you and for you to accept because I I'm not I was super nervous to do this interview. <laughs> just because of just uh everything that you've accomplished. And I, I really am a fan of your films. So I really do appreciate you. I'm gonna send you a link to Chavela so you can watch that one. I think you'll like that too. Yes, please. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just a human being like anybody else, you know, <laughs> and I go to the bathroom, I sleep, I eat, I do all the same things you do, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, um, we're all in this together and we just have to help each other. So the minute I, I usually say yes to people when they reach out to me, because why not? You know, I mean, yeah. What do you have to lose? But thank you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing your premiere for Mama Bears at this year's South by Southwest. Yes. Uh, oh, I guess I should plug the date. So we have uh, four in-person screenings. One is March 13th at three o'clock. Then on Monday, the 14th, March 14th, we have two, one at four and one at 4.30. And then on Friday, the 18th, we have one. And I think it's at noon. And then on Monday, the 13th, there is a virtual screening that um, runs for 48 hours, is available for 48 hours. But we're also gonna be rolling out more film festivals. We already have booked about four, one in Milwaukee, one in Minneapolis, one in some place called Denton, Texas. Um, so um, people can go to mamabearsdoc.com to find information. And we're also on all social media as mamabearsdoc. And I will also make sure to tag all the links as well as the link to your film, Texas Strong, as well as the links to the South by Southwest information so people can go and check that out as well. 
Yeah, if they're there, if they're not already buying a badge, I would suggest waiting because the badges are really expensive. <laughs> oh, I know. I try. I couldn't get a badge, so I signed up to volunteer so that I could be at your screening. Hopefully, things work out for me. Um, my fingers. Oh, are well, crying. if you're gonna be in Austin, I can put you on a list for the Friday screening. The Sunday screening's all gone. We don't have any more tickets, but I can get you a ticket for the Friday screening. I would actually really love that. Thank okay. you so much. Sure, no problem. I'll put you on the list. Oh, wow. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, well, My pleasure. <laughs> I will be there. I will definitely be there. Um, uh, just thank you. And is this, this won't be your first time in Austin. No, because so we were there. Well, first of all, Kimberly and Kai live in Austin now. Oh, they so do. I've, yeah, oh, cool. so I've been there many times filming with them, um, and then South by um, then uh, Trans in America screened at South by Southwest. Yeah. So this isn't even my first time at the participating in the festival. No, yeah, because I know it screened in 2018. I love right. this. Will be my second year at South by, so I'm excited. Oh, and yeah. I know since they didn't do it for the past two years, it's going to be even better than ever. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm so happy that um almost all of the people who are highlighted in the film will be there so kimberly and kai will be there and caleb little brother caleb um, sarah cunningham and her husband and her son parker will be there liz dyer will be there um, she's one of the founders of the mama bears um, she has a group called serendipity doodah for moms um, and then tammy terrell and her girlfriend Shade miles will be there so we're gonna have so much fun is we're all going to be there at the Sunday screening. <laughs> okay, awesome. That's going to mm -hmm. be amazing. I know yeah. this South by is really pulling some heavy hitters just with films. Um, and yeah. then the uh, Atlanta screening, I know is a big one for South by. Yeah, and Ava DuVernay has a new series uh, coming out at South by as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check because I know the list is so extensive. Yeah, shout out to Ava. If you're looking for another director for Queen Sugar, Call me, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Trying uh, to get my foot back in narrative filmmaking. <laughs> and do well, narrative miss, storytelling. Do you miss it? Like, there's so many different film genres, like horror, narrative, like fantasy. Well, narrative why? narrative is, is encompasses all written, acted filmmaking. So all the horror, comedy, all That's of That's narrative filmmaking, all of that, yeah. So what why did you choose to focus more on documentary i didn't it just happened so i kept trying to get projects off the ground after i made land where my fathers died in 1991 i kept trying to get projects off the ground and i would get a little bit of funding and then run out and and then i would have to get a job and i'd have to work and i'd get distracted you know like i would lose the drive to keep pushing to get the films made and so I have a bunch of films, like three films that never got finished. Lack of funding, lack of funding, lack of funding, right? And um, it wasn't until um, I made Chavela with a, a woman who has generational wealth and she could step in and fund the film when we ran out of funding. And that made all the difference in the world. And so we were able to finish that film. And that was the first time in 30 years that I had a film out in the world that I had directed. I co-directed it with her, but I mean, like that's what it took. It took her money for us to be able to get that film out fast and, and to get it out at all, really. So um, 
because I had made that film, that documentary film, and I was looking for an idea, the mama bears thing just happened, like I told you, when I was doing research. So it wasn't that I decided to do documentaries, it's that that was my entry back into filmmaking. That was the entry point for me, which I'm eternally grateful for. But now I'd like to expand and do more than documentaries. Because I mean, like I told you, I started as an actress. <laughs> so I love working with actors. I love narrative filmmaking. I love them both. I love storytelling, period. So I feel like, like I was telling you, the story has a uh, film has a life of its own. The film dictates what its genre will be, right? Whether it will be narrative or documentary, right? Whether it would be episodic or one-off, whether uh, or feature-length film, right? The story is in control of those things, I think. The nature of the story dictates how you tell it. And just like how, I think it's interesting because films are one of those things where so many people can view the same film, but walk away with so many different interpretations of it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true of everything. Really? Have you ever read about how after a crime happens and they interview the people who witnessed the crime and every single person has a different description? There's a film about that called Rashomon, and it's this, it's this story that is told from the perspectives of the people who participated in it, and every single version of it is different. Because even words, right? If I say sex to you, it has a completely different meaning than it has to me. Just the word sex, because you're filtering it through your lens and your experience, right? So that's what I was talking about when I said there's no such thing as objectivity. Because everything, that's how we perceive the entire world is through our filter, right? Mm. And so the way we interpret a movie, the way we interpret a word, the way we interpret what someone says or does is filtered through our experience and our point of view. That is so true. Yeah. This has been really such an amazing learning experience. I've I've always been interested in the film industry and I wanted to initially major as a radio TV film. And I don't know why I didn't. I... I was initially interested in journalism and I kind of loved how I was saying earlier films just from a young age. Um, I think it was just the creation that really interests me because so I ended up getting my major in art. And so what I really appreciate about films is the cinematography. Like I love the more whimsical, like midsummer, just the big elaborate films that just really have you in awe almost. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I really yeah. wish that I had stuck with it because I just find the whole process just so interesting. Well, it's not too late. That is, I, that <laughs> is true. Young. You are young. You can do anything you decide <laughs> you want to do. You know, you can always shift gears or you can, you know, keep doing what you're doing and shift gears, you know, and start exploring it. And you got an iPhone, right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> See, I can make a major picture, a major picture film right now. Or you can just make a make a short film just to play with it and see how you like it. And, you know, like just come up with an idea and shoot it yourself just to see. And and the main thing I think that a lot of people don't do is give yourself permission to fail. Give yourself permission to mess up. Give yourself permission to experiment. Right. We live in a culture that tells us that we, you got to get it right. You know, you can't make mistakes. That's how do you learn anything if you don't make mistakes? You don't, you can't even learn to walk if you don't fall down, right? So why would this be any different? Why would any aspect of life be different from what it takes to learn? You have to make mistakes and learn from them, right? And so make a movie, 
the fuck, man? What have you got to lose? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. And you don't have to show it to anybody but yourself, but at least you'll have the satisfaction of knowing, oh, well, okay, I tried that. I liked it or I didn't like it as much as I thought I would, whatever, right? But at or, least you know, because you But did. at least you tried, right? Instead of living with what if. I think that's one of the worst things is to get to the end of your life, look back and say, what if I had, what if, what if I, I should have, right? Just do it. Dare she? She dares. <laughs> uh, this has been amazing. This has really, really been amazing. <laughs> get out there, girl. Make a movie. <laughs> I will. I will. I already have some ideas in my head. I have a bunch of notes jotted down in my iPhone. It's just actually putting them to fruition and making them reality. Right. And so when you do it, say to yourself out loud, I have permission to fail and then do it. I really like that. I feel like that's a good affirmation that I kind of want to start taking with me because yes. it's so true. It really, really is. And I feel like yes. the, main, the biggest stumbling block for most creativity is people feel like they got to get it perfect the right the first time. And they're so full of self-criticism, like writing, like when people start writing, they'll like cross it out, cross it out or delete it, delete it, delete it. It's not right. It's not right. Just write something, right? Just get it on the page. You can always rewrite it. But don't stop yourself with this, this inner internal critic, right? There's enough criticism out there in the world. You don't need to be your own critic. You need to be your biggest champion. Your biggest advocate. Yeah. Because exactly. no one else is going to support you like you. Exactly. So you need to be a gone girl. You can do it. Get it, girl. Get it. Get it. Write that <laughs> shit. Write it. That's right. That's right. All right. Now let's rewrite it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know, like how many versions of mama bears exist on um, Vimeo? <laughs> so many things we tried that did not work. Right. So many edits, so many cuts, so many versions until we got to the one that worked for all of us, me, my editors, my producer, the people in the story, right? We had to try though. We had to risk failure, right? Then we look at it and say, no, well, that's not working, but this part right here is really good. So let's keep that. You're going to find little gems in whatever you do. So focus on those and learn from the parts that don't work and just be like, okay, well, that was not good, but that's all right. I learned now what I know not to do. Time. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. I think, I think one of the things about film, at least, at least you don't have to put yours up on a big screen to see it <laughs> in front of people, which is what, when I was learning filmmaking, we had to do. So your mistakes were out there for everybody to see. Now you can just watch it on your computer, <laughs> show it to a few select trustworthy friends, you know? But when I was coming up in film school, it was like, you know, you put it up on the screen and you're like, oh my God. You're, and it's because you are like how you said your worst critic. So you notice every minuscule thing or every little thing that you're like, well, oh, it's I supposed done to be this. funny. And you look this. around and nobody's laughing or it's supposed <laughs> to be sad. And you look around and people are laughing like either way. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> OK, that didn't work, you know, but I feel like people are they feel like, oh, my God, what will I do? What will you do? You'll pick yourself up by your bootstraps and keep on moving. That's what you'll do. You ain't going to die. You ain't gonna die if it don't work. If it, if it's bad, you know what I mean. You'll survive. Yeah, like what's the worst that could happen? Mm -hmm. You'll live to tell another story. That's exactly. I had um, cultivated like this list of getting over fears, mm -hmm. and that was one. Just recognizing that what is the worst that's gonna happen from it, and like the fact that you can live with it and you can be able to move on from it. Just do it, like Nike says. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> Iconic. 
Well, thank you so much for taking your time out of your afternoon to come and talk with me and just share your knowledge of just all that you've done with your career and just how you got to be where you are today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. That wraps up this episode for today. I really enjoyed that interview and getting a glimpse into the world of film. Make sure to tune back in next week for my interview with a music artist who will be performing at this year's South by Southwest. Thank you for listening to Above the Mean Podcast. If you liked it, make sure to comment and subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe to our Instagram. I'll be uploading highlight clips and bonus reels from the podcast. And as always, remember, don't settle for average. Rise above the mean and stand out.